The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, and Doc Bagavan Antel. These are names that some of you have heard that we probably none of us would have heard were it not for COVID-19. Now, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, these were the primary characters who were focused on in a documentary that was on Netflix that came out this past March. Now, what this, this documentary was about, it was actually eight different episodes. Seven and then a where are they now kind of episode. And it was mainly focused on this guy, Joe Exotic, who owned a, a big cat attraction. Basically, he had a bunch of tigers, and people would come out to see them. But he wasn't the only one. There was also this Doc Antle, who he owns a place in Myrtle Beach called Myrtle Beach Safari. And so there's all kinds of tigers. And if you've ever been to Barefoot Landing, it's actually his tigers that, would, that he would send to Barefoot Landing. Uh, and... Then there was Carol Baskin, and she owns a place in Florida, and Joe Exotic's out in, in Oklahoma. Now, that sounds kind of boring on the surface. So why did so many people watch it? In fact, 64 million households tuned in during the first month. Why? Well, because these people weren't just cat owners. These people were just nuts. And we got to watch them. First of all, this guy here in Myrtle Beach, um, he has three, count them, three wives. Now, he doesn't claim to have three wives, but he has three wives. And all of them are like teenagers. I mean, it's, you would think the guy's normal at first because he actually acts the most normal, but no, not even close. And then there's Carol Baskin. Now, you may not know her for that, but then she was on Dancing with the Stars. Now, Carol Baskin also owns one of these cat reserves, and she may or may not have killed one of her husbands. And then there was the star, Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. Well, Joe was, is a very interesting sort of fella, in fact, the way that this documentary got put together was he hired a movie producer or a TV producer to come and be on his staff to basically document the way he is. And so this guy's job was to make little TV shows about Joe, who would 
have music videos or tiger videos and all these weird things. And Joe also had multiple spouses. He was married to two men, also very much younger than he was. And during the filming of this, one of those men accidentally shot himself and the other one got a girl pregnant and left her and legally married the woman. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Joe actually decided to run for president of the United States one year. Needless to say, you probably hadn't heard of him. It didn't go well. So instead, he ran for governor, the governor of Oklahoma. Again, this did not go well. But now, Joe is serving 22 years in a federal prison for what? Conspiring to kill Carol Baskin. And that's the documentary. Not about tigers at all. It's about these people. And for those of us who watched it, it was sort of like driving past a horrific accident on the interstate. You don't want to look, but you have to. So why, why were we so drawn to this? Well, like I said, it came out in March of last year, which was, if you recall, about the time that the world started shutting down. It was when the whole COVID-19 thing started getting really, really real. Schools were shut down. Churches were shut down. Stores were shut down. I mean, if you drove through Lexington, it was like a ghost town. You know, it was the only time ever other than the middle of the night when there was no traffic. And so we were all kind of scared, weren't we? You know, we were scared of this unknown virus. We were scared of what this was going to do to the economy. We were scared what this was going to do to families. We were scared what this was going to do to us. And so, exit or enter stage left, Joe Exotic and the Tiger King. We had a distraction. Something that could take our mind off the horrors of this world and look at the horrors of that one. Because that's what we do in times of stress, right? We look for these distractions. And it's not just during COVID. It's, it's all the time. You know, they're called hobbies. Golf, hunting, fishing, sewing, shopping, watching sports on television, watching anything on television. These are all distractions that sort of let us keep our stress and anxiety at bay. You know? And good gracious, we've certainly needed that now, haven't we? Because now that numbers are rising again, our stress level is off the chart. And so we look for not just a distraction, but sometimes we need something more. We start looking for a savior. You wonder why COVID-19 became political? That's why. Because we wanted somebody who could step in and take charge and stop this stuff, right? Right? But I'm not sure we were looking in the right place. We were looking for somebody to come and, and fix the mess that our nation is in. But I'm going to be honest with you folks. This isn't the first time or the first nation that's ever been in a mess. In fact, that's what was going on 2,000 years ago in, in first century Jerusalem. You see, then most of the civilized world was ruled by the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was one of those. And so while they were still allowed to have their own king and still made most of their own rules, 
they were always answerable to the emperor. And the emperor wasn't just a ruler. The emperor was lauded as a god. And so this was quite a problem for the Jews of that day because they already had a god, and it was just one. Unlike, unlike the pagans in, in, uh, of that day who had many, many gods, the Jews had one, the same god we have, the god of Abraham, the, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And this god was the one god that they would go and they would worship at the temple in Jerusalem. The place where they believed that that God resided. The temple for them was very central to their faith. Without that temple, they were kind of lost. So it's very interesting then where we pick up today. Because it's not at the temple where the proclamation of God usually would take place. It's out in the wilderness. Away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. And the person that's out there making this proclamation is strange too. It's John the Baptist who wears camel hair and and with a leather belt around his waist and eats bugs. And he makes this proclamation. And it's interesting, it says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming out. That's a lot of people. Why? Why were so many people going out to see this weirdo in the wilderness? This freak in the forest? Why? They needed a distraction. They needed to take their mind away from all the horrible things that they saw going on every single day. I mean, can you imagine that situation? Imagine if someone invaded the United States and and while we were still allowed to, you know, kind of rule ourselves, there was still Big Brother watching. And at any point, somebody could knock on your door and demand taxes. A soldier, you don't know what those taxes are going to. More than likely, they were going to to line his own pocket. And, And just because you had your own government, they were still, they're still answerable to a higher government. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for them? How badly they wanted to break free and be the way that they used to be to bring things back to normal once again? I think you can. I think you know exactly how it feels to want things to be back to normal once again. And so maybe we too will break away and go into the wilderness for a little bit. To see if maybe a a weirdo in that wilderness, a freak in the forest, might have those answers. And that's what they were doing. They were going out there looking for answers, looking for distraction, looking for a savior. And that's what we do too, isn't it? We look for somebody who will make things right again. And where we hope we'll find that is the one place, the sense of normalcy, the the place where things rarely change or they change very slowly. And that place is the church, right? The church that's generally 20 years at least behind any other kind of change that's happening in the world. Why? Because this is where it's comfortable. This is where it's safe. This is where everything is the same in the midst of a changing world. It's comfortable here. But even that's changed, isn't it? We're being forced out into the wilderness now. 
This past week, I, I made an announcement, and I made it earlier in this service, about what our Christmas Eve will look like. This year, we'll have just one service at 4 o'clock. And only 50 people can come. But our, our primary service will be one that's virtual. that will be online. And I know that that's different and scary. But see, the thing is, it, it, and, it, and it really bugs us, because that's our piece of Christ for Christmas, right? Because let's be honest, if you want to say what, what we use as a distraction, Christmas is a distraction for us every single year, isn't it? We go out, we put all the lights up, and we go shopping, and we wrap all these presents, and we've got the tree, and we put them under there, and we go to all these parties and eat all this food. Because as long as we're celebrating Christmas, Christmas is a happy time, and all the pain and stuff that's going on in the world, we can sort of push aside. That's why everybody has been decorated since July 4th for Christmas this year. Because we want that escape. But we're so great at celebrating Christmas that we forget to celebrate Christ. See, John the Baptist, the weirdo in the wilderness, he wasn't there to point to himself as a Savior. He was there to point to the Savior. And that's what the Christmas celebration should be doing, right? But see, this year, we're in danger of that even more so because it's pointing us not to here, it's pointing us out there. And so maybe we'll just say, it's too different this year. I'm going to celebrate Christmas, but I'm going to pass on the celebrating Christ thing. It's not the same. It feels strange. It shouldn't be that way. But my friends, in the midst of the pain and turmoil and uncertainty of this world, it's now more than ever that we need to celebrate Christ. Because see... The Christ we're celebrating isn't one that just came to churches. We celebrate the fact that our Savior has come and is coming again to this world, to our daily lives, wherever, whenever, however, and wherever we are. Christ comes to us. So this year, yes, we may have to worship in our homes, but Christ will be there. We may have to worship with less people, But Christ will be there. It may be in front of a television. It it may be that we're singing Christmas carols with one or two or three or four of us. And it feels strange. But you know what? Christ will be there. We don't need distractions because we have a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. So my friends, as we celebrate Christmas, let's also remember to celebrate Christ, the one who John the Baptist proclaimed not in the temple, but in the wilderness. The one who still comes to us in the temple and in the wilderness of our lives. Amen.